You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Jess Katie today. And joining me for an interview is Rebecca Wilson. Rebecca Wilson has been working in concert audio for 27 years, most of it as a touring monitor engineer. Currently, she is head of audio for the TED World Theater in New York City. We talked about her path, the best pair of pants she ever had, and what's meaningful to her now at this stage of her career. Rebecca is horribly insecure about her feet, eats tomato soup 300 days a year, believes humans are inherently good, is phobic of parade floats, reminds herself that nothing remains unchanging, dislikes redundancy, she just can't stand it, loves sensory deprivation tanks, would elect the Dalai Lama to be president of Earth, and would rather be wrong than bored. Hi. Let me put my headphones on. Okay, Katie. Oh, you know what? I can't hear you. Okay, hold on. Of course, audio settings. Are you muted? You're not muted. No. It's me. I, I'm so silly. I'm on mute. It's totally it's you. totally me. I'm on mute. Actually, hold <laughs> yeah. on. I can hear you through this. I'm going to use this. Okay. I haven't actually used this setup for conferencing, so I was... Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound so good. Okay, good. Is this... It's this mic, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yes. I want... Wow. <laughs> what mic is that? U87. Ah, yeah. I'm going to write that down. Sounds it's, really nice. So do you. Oh, thanks. Mine's um, <laughs> AT2020 <Yeah. laughs> low-end mic. That's okay. It does the trick. It's not. It yeah. It's all It's all how you talk, babe. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'll be talking this way because I always forget about like my one job as a podcast person is like, you know, speaking to the mic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's It's so cool to be on this. I can't even tell you. Oh my god, I'm so happy to have you. I was just like reading up on you and I'm so excited. Like your website, your about me is so fun. Oh. You're, you're so clever. <laughs> I'm like, I, I need to think of my nine facts that will just like charm the pants off people. You know, somebody told me to do that and everybody likes it. And it was funny. It was just this guy I met in a coffee shop. He's like, you should make your about page just simple and funny. And then I did and people liked it. See, even that <laughs> is a fun story. <laughs> So we're recording oh. now. Is this the show? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. Um, a horrible intro. I'm like on mute to say hi. I was telling you how nice your hair was. You didn't hear any of that because um, oh. <laughs> I was on mute, but it's Thank gorgeous. You. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I did start the recording because um, I, I got tired of missing all the fun bits that happen when people enter the room. So, but it's very unethical of me. Um, so I love sorry, it. I'm recording. Yes. I love it. It's so true. Yeah, there's an energy that comes, right? And then I go, there's a countdown with Riverside and it makes everyone scared because it's like six, <laughs> five, four. And then like as soon as it's recording, it's like everyone's scared. Everyone I'm turns scared. into like the doctor's office. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, I have a career. Yeah, yeah. so I just, I don't, I don't want to miss the, yeah. the vibrancy. So now we're on a good roll. We are. I already love you. Yeah. Oh, no, I love you. <laughs> this is going to be easy. This is going to be an easy interview. I already know. Uh, okay. I'm going to ask the same question I ask every time. Have you ever listened to an episode? Because you will. Uh, I have, have listened to episodes, but not with you hosting. I hate to say oh, it. Perfect. No, no. Don't hate to say it. Because okay. I would be embarrassed if you heard that I asked the same question every time. And I ask I it love, the same way. I think it's beautiful. The, you know, rep repetitiveness is, is, you know, it's actually not repeating. Uh, it's everything is impermanent. So it's always different, even if it sounds the same. 
Oh my God. You're really blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're into meditation, right? Yeah, okay. I'm out. You met the Dalai yeah. Lama, right? <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. My first question um, it's take me back to the beginning. How. Tell me about your roots that kind of got you interested in audio in the very first place. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think the first thing that got me interested, well, the first concert I was ever at was Bruce Springsteen Tunnel of Love Tour. And I got free concert tickets from my dad. And he and my brother, I had to pay my that brother so to take generous. me. <laughs> because his client gave him one. And they were literally the back of the stadium. Like there was no seat behind us. It was the worst tickets in the entire place. But I remember there was a giant speaker in front of me. And I remember like just feeling the power of the guitar through that speaker. And it was just nailing me. I mean, I don't know who did that hang, but it was really close to the back wall now that I look back on it. But so I remember just having an affinity for audio immediately, like on a visceral level, you know. And I think that my first real, what was my first? I started out by accident. I was at Colorado State University and there was a beer cellar there and uh, down below, it was like a bar beer cellar. And uh, this was in the nineties and they, and they needed, uh, the Performing Arts Center needed someone to uh, help with the equipment down there. And I needed a job. I was putting myself through school at that point. Um, and so I, I just sort of fell into it. It was literally like, oh, beer, music, okay. And, and, and so I just sort of was, it waltzed off into that sunset. And it was, it was a constant flow of opening doors for me. I never planned it. I didn't think I was going to be good at it. And it just sort of, uh, it, it really just fell into place on its own, which I find, you know, I don't even know if that's a youthful thing or if it's just a universe thing, but I've, I've really rarely had so many doors open so quickly for me um, in any other career that I've moved through, you know? So I've had a couple of different, they're all production related, but it's, there's, there's many uh, waves in that production sea, I guess you'd say. So yeah, I worked at the college. I got, uh, they brought bands to campus. I learned really, really the hard way how not to mix sound. And, <laughs> and, 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 um, and it was invaluable. You know, all that stuff is invaluable. Screwing up in, an, in front of a lot of people, having bands curse you out on stage live over the mic, you know, not fun. I know I did, but you know what? Humbling. It, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and it, and you know what? I, I learned no matter what, I never wanted that to happen again. And and it also felt terrible. Like those people are up there performing their art and, and, and like, I don't know what I was doing, you know? So it was really, I mean, it, it wasn't neither nor, you know, but it, it was just my path. So then it just led straight into um, mixing clubs, dating musicians, of course, helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dating cute rock and roll boys, I, it really helped my sound. No, I really did learn a lot, though, about guitar. I mean, I always seem to end up, you know, the bass players I find are the coolest to date those guys. But anyways. Oh, uh, <laughs> taking notes. Or girls, or girls, whatever. They just have this vibe. Um, and I, I really, uh, I'm, I'm diverging. The question, how far do you down the road do you want the beginning? I don't know. Oh, my to, God. No, keep going. This I don't so know good. how the beginning. I don't know when the beginning turns to the middle. That's the. I problem. meant exactly when you were born. No, um, <laughs> you didn't go back far enough. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Um, 
yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay, so so then in college, I actually worked for an outside sound company, and that was um, that was also, but that was like a private company, non university related. They paid me to mix sound. You know, it was like it just started happening, and then I moved to California after I graduated, and I got this job. It was so funny. I was actually just like an audio stagehand. I wasn't even the A2 on a job. And it was in downtown San Diego. And it was for, it was some like kind of old school, for the Four Tops maybe. It wasn't them, I don't, that's like too old. But there was somebody that was kind of this bebop band that was playing for a civic center. The city had hired them. And the monitor engineer literally went into heart failure on the job. And he had to be rushed off. And then the A2 took over, but that guy had a house gig at 4th and B, which is downtown San Diego. And they, they didn't, they needed somebody. And so I stepped into that gig and I don't, I don't think I ever, he ever came back or something. I just became the house monitor engineer for a pretty large club there. I mean, it wasn't really, it was an awesome venue. Um, and then Fishbone came through on tour that, and they just liked what I did. And I was on tour like a week later after, after that. I think I worked at 4th and B a few years maybe. Um, but it was great. It was a great gig. And then I just, the tours just sort of happened after that. And then, you know, everything is the next door to the next thing. Right. How do you know how to like, how do you know to say yes oh, to the door opening? Very good question. Uh, th- it's a very good question. My criteria back then was money. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really, I lived on such little money, but I thought, I feel like that was, that was actually, um, something I was, I've always been fortunate with. Like I've been really, I've not needed a lot. And so in the beginning stages, you know, I, I just, I just worked gig to gig and I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of stability, but you know, I surfed a lot <laughs> and, and I did a lot of cheap things. But, um, so basically if it was money, I said yes. And then I became more discerning as it went so I think one of the mo- most things for me right now, it's funny to look back. Thank you for the opportunity. Because at first it was like, how, how much charisma is this job going to have? And now I think like, how is this job going to serve the world? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of having, you know, your work life really add something to the world. And there's such a media, in my opinion, like deficit of content that's good. And so mixing audio for things that you know, are good in the world, I think is, is really important to me now. But in the, in the early days, I also, it wasn't going to teach me anything because everything for me was about growing and learning. So that was another prerequisite for that, I guess. And also, you know, the quality of, of, of artists really, really mattered to me. You know, at first it didn't, but because it doesn't matter because I, you know, I was bad. They were bad. Perfect. We're in love. <laughs> yeah, that's a good match right? made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was, it was great that way. But then it was really about, and then it became like, well, what kind of bus do you guys tour on? You know, <laughs> it became like how many shows, when you say weekly pay, like how many shows is that? You just get smart. And, and then, well, if it goes over that, how many, how are you going to pay me? It, it just became, you know, all the mistakes, like every other industry you just learn. I I read your article. Um, By the way, shout out to the Sound Girls article, uh, University of Crash and Burn, because that's a really good read on you. Um, (laughs) But that philosophy is really awesome to embrace, but also, I imagine, hard because 
at the crash and burn part, how do you keep going? No, I, I literally have, have broke down in tears after mixing sound because it is such an intimate public thing that you're that you're doing. It's it's funny. It's it's you because you're the conduit for this thing that's happening up there, but it's also so public and visible and people know who to throw a beer bottle at if they don't like what they hear. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean in the early days at clubs and stuff. I had to acclimate myself to knowing that I that even after a good gig, I would sometimes feel a tremendous amount of anxiety just because the nature of what we do is so public and there is so much writing on it because when something loud and unforeseen happens on stage and people's ears hurt, like it's really stressful. You know, we, we're at the helm of, of, of an experience for many, many people. So even after a, on a good day on stage, it would be I would feel like I, I really had a lot of anxiety. And then when it was a bad day. Oh, God, it was I really did. I burned. I crashed and I never wanted to do it again. But then after a few days, I learned. Like I could get up and do it again, you know, and it, and it really was just time, just bowing to time itself and knowing that these are just feelings. They will go away. You will have new experiences. You will only bring good things from this terrible experience forward. And if I owe any amends to people, you know, like I call them and say, I'm sorry. You know, that also helps when you crash and burn because a lot of there was a couple times I'm trying to think. You know, when I get stressed out, I get kind of uh, curt and and pretty pretty. I can be kind of intimidating. It's always important for me to say that I'm a six foot woman because I have a little bit of a different experience than a lot of women. I think, um, so, or I don't even know if that's true, but it, it seems to matter. Uh, no, I think it does. Yeah, that's so cool. I didn't, I, I didn't imagine that. Yeah, six feet. Yeah, I'm wow. six feet, and I'm and I and I and when I get mad or when I get scared. That's the thing is to differentiate between like when I'm scared and when I'm mad, you know, like, oops, um, I, I really, I really think that's an important distinction to know, know yourself, you know, and that's how you can get up from the crash and burn. Otherwise, you know, you can seek other things, which a lot of people, it's the cliche, you know, drink a lot, use some drugs, use whatever to just not feel those feelings of inadequacy or, or just failure, period. Failure is the, is the hardest. And then, uh, you know, you just get up again and you put yourself out there. And that's like what you're doing. I mean, this podcast thing. I mean, come on. It's so cool that you do this. Oh, my God. Stop it. I feel a lot of anxiety, too. So <laughs> like after an episode. Uh, but luckily, you could just fix it in the edit. Um. Yeah. And don't you feel like you might have appeared like said something or you should have or could have or, you know, it's all that stuff. It's just in totally. your head. And you just have to let it roll through there and, and not try to like force it or reason it away. Just know that it's just part of you. It's not you. It's part of you know, your mind right now. I love that. No, I, I like, I like the idea of uh, kind of time just being the thing. You got to just keep going. Yeah. And just lay low and just know that like three, two, like I just came out of a really hard week at work at TED. It was like, I had a lot of personal issues with people I was working with over professional stuff, a lot of anger. And I, you know, I'm all trained in meditation and it's like the worst thing, you know, it's so hard to, when you're angry to let that go. And there's all this mindfulness and stuff. And really in my mind, I know all that stuff, but it doesn't affect the, the feelings, the physical effect the feelings have on my body. So I really had to just know that after two and a half days, like it went from a 90% takeover of my mind to like a 45% to a 30%. And today I'm doing okay. But you know, 
it's just it's just what you know like it's always important i think to observe your professional mistakes and your personal mistakes both because usually they're linked but how do you get up and crap from a crash and burn well, that's the thing. I um I haven't done too many because I play it really safe and I don't take any risks. <laughs> but, I doubt that. No, but I, I okay. Uh, so I went to school as a late bloomer. I'm in school right now. Uh, so I'm a grown up. <laughs> I'm a grown woman. <laughs> um, but it, it was hard. Like it was a learning experience being like an older person and realizing there's actually like a gap in my uh development because I haven't had to face failure. Interesting. Uh, and school's a great place to fail because it's where you're meant to fail, but I don't like to fail. So it's this kind of um, grappling, you know, That's all the, that. But the fact that you know that you hadn't had that much exposure to failure is in itself like an asset. I got right. Cause I guess it is spotting the thing. Which is but, everything to yeah, me, to me, yeah. you know? No, I think you're right though. I think if people could do that it would be like half the battle really yeah 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 so when did you get good at that like were you uh spotting that how long yeah (laughs) (laughs) your shortcomings (laughs) okay yeah so I didn't know myself I felt like until really the like I when I was on tour I did I did it all the the wrong way in so many ways um emotionally you know I did lean on a lot of outside things to keep my energy up you know uh just to keep keep me from feeling all the failure or feeling all the anxiety, you know, and, and a lot of people will do use a lot of substances or other things, men, uh, women relationships, I guess we should say, you know, whatever it is to keep from feeling those things. And this is a really high stakes job, you know, live sound anyways, you know, recording engineers have it a little easier, but it's all different, you know, but live sound, especially, like when you're going live on on, on network tele- television, you know, like you're, that's a lot of stress to make sure that there's not some major sound thing just that's going to happen right as the band starts, right? I mean, and I've never after I don't even know it's like 30 years now of mixing, like I have never not had butterflies before the first note, the first five bars of a song. You know, it is like I mean, and it's intense. It's not. It never gets easy. Even a TED, like with just a single mic and a speaker, it's like there's a lot riding on that for the person on the other end of that mic. And and I, I just, you know, I always get nervous. And I think it's important to just know that that's just part of it. Just like it'll it'll go away, you know. And and after a while, you get you have confidence in that you'll be able to figure out most of the scenarios have passed under the train at some point, you know. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I can pretty much deal with anything, but the unknown is the scary thing. It's just all mental. Yeah, it's so fun being alive, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> <laughs> it? Oh God, especially after these last few years. Jeez, how old are you? I'm 26. 26. Okay, I'm 47. Yeah. And one thing I do want to throw out to women, okay? I think that this thing about being embarrassed of your age is freaking stupid, okay? Like, <laughs> just get over it. I mean, I think it's like you're you're how old you are. Don't try to be younger. There's nothing wrong with your age. And by saying that, I think it holds us back because we're just basically objectifying ourselves <laughs> by ourselves, right? So just lay it out there. Yeah, just say your age loud and proud, ladies. <laughs> do you hear us? <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I think. How's it? 
How does it feel? How, are you are you stoked about your forty seven years? Yeah, you seem I like you love life. You know what? Today I do. Today I do. Last three days, don't love life. Like <laughs> anger, resentment. You know, and 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 also just in audio. You know, I was freelance for so long. Now I have a salary, and it's only been what three years in my entire life that I've ever pulled a salary. I've always been freelance, and I. I can't t- say that I, I prefer the salary. Um, there are certain things I'm understanding about myself now that I have money. Like I'm not as cheap as I might be. You know, <laughs> I might have thought I was because now that I have money, I'm, I'm, I can be practice generosity. But I actually really didn't love life until I'd say like my late 20s. Like I had been on tour of quite a while and I had to come off tour and really regroup and reevaluate like could, is this something that I could do healthily? Cause I hadn't been doing it healthily. You know, I smoked a lot. I, I drank a lot. I did other stuff a lot. And, and it really was, it was a, it was a, it was a hurdle and a precipice and, and a, and a place that was, that I had to come to that was so painful to get through, to come out the other side as a healthy person that wanted to be better. You know, and so I think that that really like my late 20s is when that happened. And that wasn't really until I I could really enjoy life. Even when I was actually working for the most famous people I ever worked for was really early on in some ways, in in certain certain ways. But I was I was absolutely not able to enjoy life because I was just riddled with financial fear, anxiety. And also, I really did buy into that whole thing that I was cooler than everybody else because I got off a tour bus and I got on airplanes every week and I, I was in fancy hotels riding in limos with fancy people. Like I bought into that. And that was the loneliest I ever really was, was sitting. I remember it was a hotel in London and I had checked in and there was like a bottle of really expensive wine that had been put in there for me. And it was, it was like... I didn't have anyone to call. I didn't have anyone, anything to do that was really, because I kind of had all this material stuff at that point. And it was really, a, the loneliest I've ever been was that, was that London hotel room, I remember. And after that, I shortly came off tour. So when you got off tour, I, you, you surfed a lot. You had a regroup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I ran a surf shop, actually. I ran, I found this, like, I always say I managed the surf shop and the only person that worked there was me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Employee of the month, best manager ever. <laughs> Get a raise. The lady was, the lady was kind of absentee, but it was great. I came off tour for like seven months and I, in fact, tour, turned down a tour that was a South American tour that was pretty big. And uh, I turned it down just because I didn't think I could go back out and, and maintain any semblance of of who I was trying to become, you know? So it was great. And then I just slowly, slowly started, I mixed at a club or something. And I remember thinking, this is so funny. Like, like, you know, a year ago I was mixing, you know, on top of the pops, you know, like in London or wherever. I mean, who, wherever we've all done the circuit. And, um, and now I'm like in this, on this little Mackie board with like the guy with his acoustic guitar, you know, <laughs> like, what am I doing? But like, I, I actually felt happier. And then, and then Dave Ratt was amazing. He got me uh, the Bangles gig and I, and I worked for them for like 10 long years, but it was really perfect working with women, 
working, not a full scale tour. Like we'd go out, it was like, we'd go out for a couple of weeks at a time. We'd go and we'd fly to Australia. We'd go to Japan. We'd go to, you know, do the EU. We'd, we'd, you know, do US dates. And it was really, they were just so lovely to work for. And actually, ironically, is when I started understanding how to be friends with women. I was never friends with women. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I loved men. I felt like I was kind of you know, a guy in hiding somehow, although it was really only because I was, I, I just related to men. I always have, like, I've always liked tools. I've always done, done things that are very, uh, more towards the, on the masculine side, I guess you'd say. Uh, and I never really, re- and I never was good in high heels. You know, I always wanted to look good, but like I suck in those things, you know? I mean, Rebecca, you would be like six, three, give yourself a break. <laughs> But it's like, God, I just wanted to be sexy. <laughs> but anyways, I, I, I really, I think that the, um, that I didn't know how to relate to women in, in a lot of ways. Oh my God. I got to say the Bengals are like a, a special band for me. Cause it's like, my mom would play them in the living room and, uh, eternal flame. And yeah, I just, <laughs> and you know Bengals, what I loved so. about them is that they're all great players. Okay. There's a lot of great women vocalists, but they played and they play well, and they play rock songs, you know, and they were doing it way before people, you know, I mean, they really, it was, they're a special, special people to me, both personally and musically. And, um, you know, talk about groundbreakers, they're, they're, they're groundbreakers. Yeah. And, and I guess you said you like, at that time, uh, you maybe got to the point of discerning working with good musicians. So that made it easy. It's true. It's true. And, and also, um, you know, the woman thing I've always had like a little bit of a, of a, of a different feeling about being a woman in an all male thing. Like I never thought that I was ever held back by it. In fact, I felt that most people really liked that I was a woman doing it, you know, and it was kind of this cool thing to do. And I felt like people wanted a woman on tour, they were sick of all guys, you know? And so when they sort of came and, and, and that sort of worked out to mix for them and they were all women on a tour bus, let me just tell you, it's a whole different set of problems. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It's great. But I mean, like women are really emotional and we also have a lot, you know, all of our, all of our eccentricities and our hormones and all of our lives and, and there was kids, you know, and, and it was really cool to finally understand how to take out that sexual element of, of men and women. It was really the purest kind of, uh, professional growth that I had emotionally, I think is when I, when I, when I recognized that they actually recognized that me being a woman was cool, but not because they wanted anything from me, you know, it was just, and I, and I kind of poo pooed that, but I, I really, I can't thank them enough for just, you know, being like seeing that potential uh, or just like fostering that, that's kind of sister thing. They're very cool that way. And, uh, and I admire the hell out of all of them, all of them. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a important 10 years, really, like for growth. Yeah. It it truly was. I think it it was. And it was the easy and I also got to work other stuff, you know. I started started going into other parts of production land and um and it was great. You know, all the audio informed it all always, you know. Started there. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what, where did that lead you after that? So I was mixing bangles. I got into a production studio of my own. I actually found one that was going through an ownership change and I, and I assumed the lease on that. It was for still in motion photography and film. And so I just jumped right in. Like I didn't know much about photography or film, but I, I, I had a, you know, I had taken a course in it. And so I just started running this production house that I didn't know how to run. And uh, it worked out, you know, it was a high overhead, but it was a beautiful, it was this 1940s macaroni factory that had been converted. And it was, it was this huge warehouse in the great light. And it was just cool because I had this thing going on visually on one end of my professional spectrum and then the audio on the other. And then I started wrapping that into video and then in motion. And that I really love. And then writing too, it led to write. I like, I love screenwriting. I've never, nothing's ever been bought, but I've managed to write a couple of films, you know, and, and I really love, I just love that. And it's all because it started with the ability to like plug stuff in and use tools. I tell you, it, it all did for me. It was strange. And then it just, it just hopscotched its way on down. <laughs> Yeah. Now you're like the full package, the full media package. Kind of, yeah. And and just I started working for thing for causes in a lot of ways too. You know, like the Dalai Lama work was really important to me um, because he's such a man of peace and his example of nonviolence with China and and how he you know he's a refugee and and just all the all the things that 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 he represents that almost every rel- major religion represents makes the world and people think about their own behavior, which I think is really at the mo at the kind of at the heart of all the work I do now, it's, it's gotta be something that, that may, that help people reflect on themselves because, you know, everybody wants to change the world, but as the Dalai Lama, I don't ever want to pretend I can quote him, but <laughs> that idea of, of him really, uh, you know, you can't, there's that saying, people want to coat the world in leather for a smooth journey. But really, you just need to get your own shoes and get some really good leather on the bottoms of them, you know. And then, you know, so that it's it's more about you. You can't affect change all that well on the outside until you really are a happy, peaceful person on the inside. But yeah. rock and roll is cool, too. <laughs> I don't want to sound all <laughs> soft and hippie. I'm not a hippie, okay? <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, I am not a hippie. Not at all. No way, man. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I, I love that. And um, I love that your, uh, your journey is so rich because it led you to be this great person. Ah, well, you know, ask my boyfriend. <laughs> For my well, partner. okay, let's get him. <laughs> get him on the show. You might be like, she's not. no, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly, you know, where I'm going next. I don't, and I've never felt like there was a, there was an end, you know, to the professional uh, in audio. Like it's, it's traversed into so many different things. Like I just flew back from a studio in Joshua Tree. There's a place called Goat Mountain Recording, and I was working with an artist called Bright Brown and it's really cool stuff. And, and they'd flown me out to do some uh, more documentary work for them, but we were in the studio. It's all off grid there, all solar. They built it and it's a full Amtech deck, you know, a board console with 
all the you know accoutrements for outboard gear, Neve and all the you know preamps galore and great mics. He had a pair of these Cole overhead mics, which I had never even seen before, but they're are supposedly like the bee's knees. So then all of a sudden found myself working with these great, you know, it was a keyboardist uh, in drums. It was a three piece, but and and I and, and I wasn't mixing audio, but you know what? I could function in that environment because I knew what they were doing. You know, I could shoot while they were tracking because I knew when not to make a noise, and I knew the process. And it, so it was just this another another block that like in the in the cement, another brick in the path that was just this weird. Oh yeah, and this leads back to audio. <laughs> audio was the seed all along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess so. I guess so. Wow. So wait, you were shooting a documentary there? Yeah, just on the making of, like, you know that great podcast song, Exploder? Have you? Uh, if, okay, that's wait. okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it sounds kind of familiar, but no, I don't want to say you yes. You know what? That's the worst when people do what I just did, like assume that you know. So Song Exploder is a podcast out um, by Harish, Harishi Kish, I'm saying his name wrong, but He's also plays music, but he takes the musicians usually like there's one on Netflix that's uh, also filmed that was like Trent Reznor and there's like five Alicia Keys and they take apart the Pro Tools stems. So they actually play them their vocal track alone. And it's usually a song like one of their singles. And, and they talk about sometimes they talk technically about the making of that track. Sometimes they talk about what was happening in their life. It's a beautiful, beautiful, I really like the filmed ones. And and it's completely audio centric, you know? So so they so they take and then they and then they play the full song at the end. So you see how it was built both from an emotional and technical standpoint up. And um and so I we had kind of talked I had talked to Alex, the singer for uh, Bright Brown. He's the song, he's actually the lead the he writes all the songs and most of the music for it. And he said that, uh, you know, we had talked and I said, well, what about doing something a like song exploder on just like two songs? So, you know, we kind of filmed this cool story of Joshua tree being a character in it. And, and I actually filmed them, you know, laying down all the, you know, the drums and all, and just actually, cause it, what they weren't written songs by when they went in there. So we'll see how it comes out, but yeah. Oh, do you know what? About when that comes out, because that sounds really cool. Yeah, you know what? Um, no. <laughs> oh. I don't know when it comes out. I would say the first, like, springtime of next year, though. Wow. That's that's so cool. So, sorry, how did you get that gig lined up? Because, like, so generally you work at the, the TED uh, World Theater. I do, at the TED World Theater. And ironically, Alex is – I met Alex through one of the engineers that worked – at the TED World Theater with me as an audio engineer. So we had a, a common friend, Omar Leibovitz, who's actually an amazing, check out his record. It's great. It came out this year. Uh, him and then, um, and there was, there's another friend of his uh, named Gary, which I can't remember his last name right now, <laughs> but his album's called Try Me Warm and his music's unbelievable. So, you know, a lot of audio is just, just play. I just started playing like five years ago. Uh, keys, so or, I mean piano, which I played as a kid, but I you got kicked out of the school. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, <laughs> you read that one. I did. I got it's kicked so out good. of music school. Okay, wait, sorry. Tell the story though, because it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. 
so I was classically trained as a pianist. I played for a while. I think it was like seven years or something. But we were, you know, in composition room and the teacher always sent me back to this one room because I was kind of distracting with the group dynamics. I was always doing, you know, they didn't like me much. And they sent me back to this room to do some written work. And she had like a thousand of those little short pencils that you find at the DMV or wherever. And I just ended up putting them in the ceiling of the styrofoam ceiling, like an old school 70s one. And I just started putting little pencil tips in there. So they were hanging down like little yellow stalactites. And she came in and she was so mad. And I'm just never allowed to study there again. <laughs> but it wasn't the so pen- cool. I know. It wasn't <laughs> the pencils, though, of course. You know, it was just the pencils were the final straw. <laughs> okay. It was, a, it was a slowly building thing. <laughs> Say, I've never liked discipline. I don't know people that do, but. I was never an easy. I think that makes a good audio engineer, though, in a lot of ways, is you know, a free a, a free thinker. If I could, if I could tell people audio for me, becoming like really laying down your own processes for what work for your for you, is really was key for me. Like not, I don't, I'm not, I haven't always been good at just taking instruction and then doing that. Like you take it, do it, and augment it, and then you know, and then run it. And it, it will always change, as we said, in permanence. Like even if you want it to stay the same, it never will, which is actually quite beautiful. Yeah. You're like singing poetry. This is so all very lovely. <laughs> oh, no, I love you're easily it. I, impressed. I love it. I, well, yeah, <laughs> but you are impressive. So. No, you're not easily impressed. I didn't mean that that way. I meant. Oh, know. no, but I am. <laughs> it's true. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious um, about you, but I know this isn't. I would love. Oh, uh, I'm so uninteresting. <laughs> it's not true. It's like I am a student. That's it. That's no. the entire story. Well, how did you get? How do you know audio and all this? Oh, well, I'm in film school. And okay, so I'm studying post audio. Oh, you are cool. I think it's cool that you're going to be post production. I mean, that is seriously. Uh, hard. I'm an, I I find it daunting and intimidating. I know nothing about post-production mixing. Me neither. That's not true. Okay. So Joshua Tree and how, how is Ted? How oh, is Ted. Your Ted job. Yes. So Ted, Ted is really one of those also kind of like the bangles, like rare things I stumbled into that I've had the good pleasure of actually seeing that behind the curtain of Ted is just as ethical as as people would probably think they are, which is oh, unheard of. It's a lot like, you know, the artists, which I will not name any, but that are just insanely creative people, but they're also insanely annoying to work for, right? Like, I mean, there are people that you would not believe have the most demanding, crazy, neurotic things, but they go on stage and they're brilliant, genius, and they change lives, right? Uh, so so Ted is one of those places, and I'll tell you a story. We, um, you know, two of the people that I worked with developed, before Zoom was Zoom, after this pandemic, they developed a technology that had you can interact a lot. Like somebody on stage can have a mic and they're live and they're being filmed by our, our full real production. They zoom in. It's not a zoom. It's not zoom though. It's called the Ted world theater technology. And they come in and they can talk with someone on stage, which now after this is like, so not a big deal after the pandemic stuff. But when they first came out with it, like five, four years ago, maybe um, they developed it, spent, spent a lot of money on it. 
and people were like, we have to patent this. We don't want people taking it. And the head of TED supposedly said, we are about ideas worth spreading. We are not going to patent this. Anyone can have it. It's open source if they want it, you know? And it was just one of those wow. moments where it was like, wow, that, that really is unusual, you know? And, and I, and I've, I kind of fell in love. I drank the punch at Ted, you know, it's, it's pretty, it is stacked with the most creative hipster, cool, people, you know, there's so many times where you, you see behind the back curtain, backstage curtain and you're like, oh my God, if people only knew, you know, and Ted is actually the opposite. Like I wish they'd bust their backstage open and people would know that more. So I'm happy to talk about that. Um, you know, I like that I get to still work with musicians. Mostly um, it's, it's a lower, lower stress level as far as the production element in audio camera, you know, they shoot cinematically. It's top notch. Um, you know, we use all really expensive glass and cameras and we have very cams there and it's awesome. Audio wise, we have great stuff too. Um, but it's just a single speaker on stage is, is a lot easier than a 52 piece band, you know, in a, in a five minute changeover, you know? So it's just, I mean, it's, it's just a different kind of stress, but it's not the stress of, of a, making a live mic live in front of like when we went. There was a broadcast that we did last November that was part of the climate, the the countdown program for climate. And when we went live on YouTube, there was something like 65,000 people watching live. And you're like, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, it, it's like yeah. crazy. <laughs> wow. So I think it's a, yeah, a nice, nice place to arrive at for sure after all those other experiences. A little bit, yeah. No, I, I really, oh, and I forgot, um, I just got today, how perfect, my sound girls thing. Do you know about these? No. Okay, so <laughs> this was Carrie Kai's, she put together this thing. It's like, it's the sound girls note cards, and it just came in the mail today. So how funny is it that we're doing the podcast? That is so perfect. And it's like, um, it's like, I mean, I am bowled over, you know how effective this is to see all of these people. They're all portraits of the oops, of the top 5% of women that started doing audio. I've worked with Magalie before. She, she'd mixed Andy Warhol. She's an awesome engineer. And so they made all these portraits of these women engineers that were the first kind of groundbreakers, 5% first. And it's so cool. You can purchase them on Sound Girls. Um, of course, they go to support the nonprofit. But I just got it in the mail and she sent it to me along with this cute little thank you card. And so this was mine. I'd love it. And it's, <laughs> and it's great. This, I, I just think it's so cool. And I have this big muscly arm, which I yeah, wish, oh wish I still had. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh my God. That's a good, good plug for those. Cause now I want some. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm telling you. And it's just, it's so cool to see. Okay. So what bowled me over was that there was so many, cause when I started mixing, you know, I, I had heard there was, I had heard about Carrie actually. And I hadn't met, I didn't meet her until like a few years ago, like 20 years later. And then I had also heard of the breeders was a band and i think they had there was a woman mixing them and she had like long dreads i remember that's all i remember hearing about her but i had never knew that there were so many people in the first five percent i mean there really is and the and the audio opportunities are endless between post what you're doing film you know playing mixing live recording um now there's like gaming audio that's super lucrative 
it's just beautiful that you're doing this and you put yourself out there to do this. I got to say, it's not easy interviewing someone and, and being 26, you said? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, it's really a big deal. I mean, people listen to these. Yeah. yeah. Hi, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Um, no, thank you. That's that's really nice. I'm really happy I get to do it, honestly. It's a super sweet opportunity. So yeah, I love doing it. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm just thrilled and, and I love sound girls. And I, I think that all the, it's great for sound boys too, right? <laughs> it's like, that's what yeah, I love. Let's get the sound folks. Let's get sound all the sound folks. people. Yeah. 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 And it's great for everyone. I mean, and I, I just, I, I applaud the growth that I've seen in, in the site and everything. I'm just, and you and your part and everything and Carrie and all the people that are helping make it. I don't know who made these drawings. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. That's all. I'm, I'm humbled that I would be asked because truly the, 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 the dossier of women in sound is, is pretty impressive. And I didn't even know until Sound Girls came along to show me. So oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time and just being so awesome and full of wisdom and good stories and humor. I don't know. I can go on. <laughs> You're great. Katie, you are. You are. Okay, have a great night. And uh, well, so within our which side are you on? Is it after, is it late afternoon there? Which side is that on? Is that on the west side or the east side? Oh, east. East, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of a map. Yeah. You know Toronto? You've been to Toronto? Oh, yeah. God, I got the best pair of pants in Toronto. <laughs> Tell me about these pants. <laughs> Actually, I was on tour. It's quite a story. I was on tour. Who was I on with? It might have been Fishbone. I think it was. And I walked off the tour bus and I just aimlessly like to kind of walk on the streets. And I came, it was, it was in Toronto and there was uh, an alley. I always, I like alleys too. I just walked down. There was this, this man in there. He just stood up and he looked at me and he waved me into his doorway. And I was like, okay, what's, you know, he was kind of, he wasn't threatening looking. So I, I went in and he said, pants, pants. And I was like, what is he talking about? And he waved me in. He pulls out this tape measure and I'm in this like, this like one room tailor. He starts measuring me and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't have any money. I'm like, I don't want that. He's like, no. And he, he doesn't speak English very well. And he just says, come back 30 minutes. And I was like, I'm intrigued. So I came back in 30 minutes and he sold me, and they were like $150 in 1990. That was like way beyond my budget. But I put them on, and they were the best pair of pants I have ever had. Every time I wore those pants, something good happened. And it was so cool. I love, And so I bought them off the guy, and he made them custom made this material that was like otherworldly. I have no idea. It was like stretchy. It was brown, but it was cool, stretchy brown. <laughs> You had to, because I wasn't imagining them cool until you said they were cool. So, okay, good. Cool, stretchy brown. <laughs> yeah. And actually, ironically, my dad threw them out at his house when I went to visit. And I told him how much they were, and he paid me back. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the luckiest pants ever. Even when they're gone, they get you money. <laughs> good oh one. God. So anyways, I to me, it was a magical experience. I guess to everyone else, they're like, yeah, a guy made you a pair of pants. I don't know. He forced you to buy them. <laughs> 
Because, yeah, how could you not? He made you custom pants. That is smart. That guy's a good businessman. Yeah, but it was like he cared. It was funny. I don't know what he, he didn't. It wasn't about the money and it wasn't pushy. It was like he just wanted to make pants for me for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. You were his muse, his pants muse. Maybe. You know, I've been a lot of things. I guess I could add that. Pants muse. <laughs> Fact number 10 for your website. There you go. Oh, good one. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That is a great story. Yeah. So I don't live in Toronto. I live near there. <laughs> <laughs> the Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Our latest episode features Sound Girl Twy McCallum interviewing Leah Volick who's considered one of the leaders of music for film. I have to say it's kind of weird, but I think I'm good at understanding how things should go together. And I think that comes from like as early as mixing sound, like mixing sound made sense to me and like what sounds go together well and, you know, doing sound for theater, like how do those things all connect? Like how does the music work with the scene? How does that sound effect fall in there? How does, you know, if you're doing a live mix, like, making sure those voices blend the right way. And then being a being an editor, it was like, how does the music go with the picture? How do those things go together? So in a funny way, I think everything that I've sort of done working with, you know, directors, working with creative people, working with music people, working with writers, I think that all really prepared me very well to be a producer. You can find the Sound Girls Living History Project interviews on the Sound Girls YouTube page at youtube.com slash soundgirls.